I'm also recording on a um, another website. It is a podcast website. Um, so I do this in two different forms. I do the video form of it, and then I also uh, record it as a podcast in case you know they would rather um, listen to a podcast version instead of seeing you know your face and mine. Um, so that's what I'm doing, and um, yeah. So we're going to get started. I'm just going to introduce uh, the class and everything. I know we already talked about it, but I like to do this for the classes and everything first. So my class is a geography. Yeah. Is this going to be edited? It might. <laughs> okay. Okay. You Some. I mean, I, I'm not going to like cut up the pieces and stuff, but if like the the ends of it and everything, you know, need to get shortened down, I might do that. But okay, um, perfect. Yeah. All right, I'm going to act like everything's not going to be edited then. Okay, good. <laughs> um, so the class itself is a uh, it's a geography class, high school. Um, most of them are juniors and seniors. And I, I, I have one sophomore in the class right now. Um, and, you know, the, the purpose of the class itself was to introduce them to, you know, many different countries and cultures and climates, like everything around the world I could think of, both physical geography, but also the human geography. Um, and we already, we just finished up our unit on Europe. We are talking, actually, we're finishing up our unit on Asia now, but uh, this is, you know, the tail end of it. Um and I talked to a few other individuals about Ireland, Germany, Poland, um, you know, various other places in Europe that they've been to. And so with Asia, uh, I don't really know anybody who's you know, been lived in Asia. So the closest I got was you visiting Cambodia for a summer, right? Yeah, it was just for the, the summer. Um, but, you know, I mean, you still got an ex exposure to the culture there and the uh, everything. So uh, I just want to, you to speak about that, but, uh, and I'll ask you some questions to guide that and everything, but to start off with, just go ahead and introduce yourself, tell who you are, um, and, you know, anything you'd like to share with uh, the students. Okay. I am Sarah Davis, and I live in Colorado. I went to Indiana University to get my journalism degree, and that is where I met Mr. Nicholas Milhouse. And um, before I moved to Colorado, I did visit Cambodia for a summer. And I worked there with a nonprofit that assisted survivors of human trafficking. Okay, very cool. Um, and was that a part of your school? You know, was that a trip that was done through Indiana University? Or was that, um, I mean, like, did Indiana University help connect you with that nonprofit? Or was it a... Um, something that you did on your own personal time? It was something I did on my own personal time. So I found Rafa House um, through my church in high school, and I just stayed with them all through college and found out they had an internship program that allowed me to go over to Cambodia with their team. Very cool. Um, how long did you, how long was your total trip over to Cambodia? I know it was for most of the summer, but I don't remember exactly how long it was. Two months. Two months? Mm -hmm. Okay. All right. Um, do you remember, was it all in the same area of Cambodia, or did you kind of go from place to place a little bit? We stayed in three different cities, um, but I stayed the longest in a city called Battambang, and that is a few, a bit of ways out from the capital city of Phnom Penh, which we also stayed in. And then we went to a third city um, called Siem Reap. And 
Siem Reap is the probably most touristy city out of all three, um, even out of the capital, because it's home to Angkor Wat, which is just a very, very large Buddhist temple. But more touristy, it's also home to the temple that Angelina Jolie shot a few of her movies in. <laughs> so it's called the Angelina Jolie Wat. <laughs> <laughs> very nice. Um, okay, so let's talk about the your experience there a little bit. And I know, you know, obviously these, these are high schoolers um, and very similar to myself. Um, one thing on their minds is what is the food like over there? Amazing. There is a ton of noodles, um, but they do. So, yeah, we had noodles almost every night. <laughs> um, a lot of different curry. And um, when we were over there, I just remember boiling everything. So we, we ate everything hot. Um, they did have this really fantastic sticky rice that we ate out of. Um, they like filled uh, banana peels with sticky rice. So that was delicious. And then we found another um, nonprofit that opened a restaurant in, in Battenbach and they served banana cinnamon French toast that we ate almost every morning. <laughs> oh, very cool. Very cool. Um, so talk about the, were the, the noodles that you had there, were they different um, than what, you know, the typical kind of noodles you found here, uh, you you would have here in the United States? Or like, was there something special about those? Because you said that was such a big staple to their their diet over there. Yeah, we just, no, um, I mean, I'm sure you could find something similar here, but it, it was different for me coming from Indiana. I, I never <laughs> had noodles like that before but they were served very similar to ramen so like mixed in with vegetables and different meats if needed and um i did use chopsticks a lot more than i had ever used in my life (laughs) okay um so what what would you say was your favorite aspect of being over there the people 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 were incredibly kind yeah, every, and I guess they're known for being smiley people, like the Cambodian, the Kamai people are known for just how much they smile, but we met so many wonderful people who just um, wanted to welcome us into their homes and introduce us to their families, serve us food, um, and they, they were just very, very kind. I I don't remember that many Kamai words. Um, but they just, they did not shy away from when I tried to like say hello and come on or something like that. They're very, very kind. Okay. Um, over in Europe, they have a lot of the countries over there, they make it mandatory for their students to learn English in the schools. You know, so a lot of like English is pretty much their second language in most of the countries over there. Did you see that at all in Cambodia or was it mostly, um, I mean, I'm sure that most people there spoke their native language, but, you know, did it seem like a lot of the individuals speak English as well? Um, oh, that's a really good question. I don't really remember, but I do remember um, the kids. So I interacted a lot with kids, and they picked up a lot of English. And I know that they were going to school. Education was sort of 
education now in Cambodia is sort of going through like a reboot. Um, they did go through a crisis in the 70s and a lot of the educated class um, was looked down upon during that time. And so there was just, there's sort of resurgence of education going on now. Um, so I think kids are starting to learn more, not only about their own history, but about the world around Cambodia. Um, and however, in Cambodia, they aren't um, entirely open to the Western culture. So like you don't see McDonald's there like you would in other Asian countries. Um, so they have closed themselves off a little bit more than other countries, I would say, to Western culture. I wouldn't say English is maybe their top priority language. Okay. Um, okay. So like you mentioned there, they, they kind of close themselves off in the Western culture. So that to me tells me it was probably a vastly different, um, culture there than you, you know, you expect you see here in the United States. Um, could you talk on that a little bit? Some of the differences that you noticed that really jumped out at you or that stuck to you, um, about the way that the people live their life there versus living life, you know, here in the United States. Yeah, I think the biggest thing that really sticks out are the spirit houses um, and just their, um, their, there's a large Buddhist culture, Buddhist religion. Uh, their, their main religion is Buddhism. And so almost every single home that we passed also had like a tiny house built in front of it. That was called a spirit house and it was meant to hold and be a respectful place for spirits to congregate and gather there. And I remember that being very um, just shocking and different from coming from Indiana. You don't see things like that in Indiana or really anywhere um, predominantly in the U.S. And so that was uh, a really cool thing to learn about and just get to know that how that played a role and just how these people live their lives. So did you, did you actually get to see the inside of these spirit houses or was it like so sacred that they really didn't let people in them or anything? And they were, they were smaller. So it wasn't like a place that a human could fit, but, and they were just, they, they resembled more like mailboxes. Oh, okay. See, I was, uh, I had a picture in my mind of like a shed um, or something, you know, like a little, (laughs) yeah. So I was like, I didn't, I figured it wasn't as big as an actual house, but at the same time I figured that I thought maybe it'd be like the size of a shed or something, you know, along those sides, like something that a a human could fit into. Cause if they believe that, you know, the spirits are human spirits and then, you know, maybe they'd want to give them enough space. That's, that's interesting. So it's like the size of a mailbox. Mm Mm-hmm. Huh. And then they leave offerings and food in front of them, in front of them. Um, I don't know if it's as regular as every morning, but pretty re- on a regular basis. Okay. Okay. Um, and also, do you mean I also have one more thing? Yeah. Monks, um, monks walk walk around everywhere, and so they go around in the mornings and um, meet with people and collect offerings from people, and that's um, and so it's just. That also took me by surprise is just seeing monks walk in the streets in the morning um, in their orange robes. And, and you, go ahead. You just hear like, I remember hearing bells at different times of the day and there were just bells going off in various temples. And so there's just a, a whole nother rhythm of life that they really respect over there. And whether that's, um, religious affiliation or just their culture it just um is is really really cool to witness 
Okay. Um, kind of jumping back to the, you said the Buddhist monks who would walk, monks who would walk around like, um, you know, ask or accept donations and everything. Do you feel like there was a lot more um, reverence or, you know, a lot more charity uh, for coming from the, the people in Cambodia? Um, because I feel like, you know, when people walk around here in the United States and they ask for donations, they ask for things, they're really looked down upon. It's not so much a, um, this is a reverent giving, it's this is a pity giving kind of thing. Um, do you, was it a whole different feel over there? I think that their offerings and their interactions with the monks was more in line of what you see people who, um, maybe if you're a Catholic, you go and you sit with the priest for a while. Okay. And, and um, go through that sort of practice. And so I think it's more similar to that rather than, um, and so yeah, it's it's kind of skirts the line of like, it's a duty to give that and it's part of their just normal practice to, to get back in that way. Yeah. Okay. It's just, that's just the way they go about getting it versus like, uh, like you mentioned, the Catholics would do that in the the place of the church basically, or wherever the priest is, you know, located at the time. Okay. That makes more sense then. It's just kind of the, the setting that that stuff happens. So it's not really given a second thought really. It's just, that's the way it is. Okay. Um, all right. So when you're in Cambodia, um, what, so that in the questions that they wrote up are mostly for the European countries. I'm trying to like tailor them to, you know what, but, um, the, yeah. like a marketplace or, you know, somewhere that you would, what kind of, um, was the difference in the economy that you'd see there versus here? You don't have to get into like the specifics about, you know, economics or anything, but just, you know, today, <laughs> today, you know, we, we go to a mall or something and we go to specific stores. Was it very similar to that? Or did they have like a whole different, um, a whole different mentality or a whole different style of shopping over there? Mm-hmm. It all, um, it all felt like street shopping. And so there are a lot of just open stalls and you just sort of walk down the road and, um, there's a lot of, uh, what's the, it's not, I forget the word where they just like come out and like a, like a bazaar or a marketplace kind of thing. Yes. Very, very much like that. Um, so also, I mean, the most expensive part about traveling to Cambodia is, the plane ticket because once you get over there it is incredibly cheap so just comparing currency excuse me comparing currency it is very very inexpensive to shop over there um but it's their markets are just open and um busy crowded and a lot of background yeah um and then they're also um you know oh the there's a lot of people who haggle with you. So you definitely have to like work your price down. That's you know like a point of pride and something that they respect and expect uh, of you in, in that area. So you also have people coming up to you asking you if you need a tuk-tuk ride in that area. So tuk-tuk is the taxi of sorts, um, but it's kind of like a carriage hooked up to a, a moto motorcycle and um and so th- you have to definitely be like very confident in saying no or and confident in haggling and confident in just that area um which is very different from like malls that we go to sometimes even to like just relax in america <laughs> yeah 
Okay. So it's a lot more up in your face kind of, yeah, like it's a lot more personal, I guess. It's probably a better way to say it than up in your face, but, <laughs> um, okay. All right. That's interesting. Um, well that, I mean, that kind of covers all of their, the questions they had about Cambodia itself. Um, you know, and, and the questions I tailored to it. Um, but I, I just want to ask, do you have any last, um, thoughts or comments you'd like to make about Cambodia and your time over there? Can I speak to um, something a little more depressing about their history? Oh, yeah. That I think is- yeah, I think it, I always think it's very important to show both sides of it. Like, not everything's um, you know, sunshine and daisies out there. So, uh, and if, and, you know, I don't want to get their hopes up of like, oh, Cambodia sounds amazing, amazing. And then um, if they looked into it more and they found out that, you know, maybe it's not exactly the place for them because of certain political or, you know, um, global issues going on there, which I know are pretty, you know, like you kind of touched on, you went over there for human trafficking, a human trafficking cause. Um, so, yeah, I mean, definitely speak about that, and, you know, um, provide any insight you have on the, any, any, whatever you were going to talk about. Yeah. I would just, um, I think important part of understanding Cambodia today and today's culture is understanding their very recent history. Um, and so when I went over there, I was, I was given this as sort of a preface before interacting with people from that country. Um, but in the mid seventies, there was a leader who came to power, communist leader who came to power and, um, committed four years of just mass genocide. And so just varying different political circumstances allowed for something this horrific to happen. And so it, um, there's a lot, and that's, you know, you think about the seventies, it wasn't very long ago. Um, and so a lot of the children who came out of that time are now our age or a little bit, you know, a little bit older, but they kind of grew up either with, um, without parents or without grandparents to really tell them about their history and they're sort of figuring themselves out. And so I think the cool thing about Cambodia now is it's, it really is like I mentioned before, there's sort of like, there's a resurgence in education, but there's also this resurgence in like art and people diving into their history and people who are finally kind of talking about this terrible thing that happened in the seventies. And so, you know, there's a lot more awareness of mental health to, um, and the importance of talking about something that they all, that they as a country and as a people went through. So yeah, that's one thing I wanted to say. Yeah. It's, it's almost like a, it's kind of like a, a rebirth of the country. You know, they, um, they're starting to kind of find themselves again and, um, it, it is a really, I mean, it's, it's a really sad thing, obviously, but it's also really neat that they, you know, they're not completely ignoring that history, but they're trying to go back and learn about it, like learn about what happened beforehand. Um, so, I mean, you know, that's a really, that's a really neat aspect, but it also sounds like they're using this time as an opportunity to like make it new and make it their own, you know, now too. Um, so, yeah, I mean, I appreciate you, you know, talking about that. That's a, that is actually a very important thing that, um, you know, I, if we were in the classroom, I definitely would have been speaking on that. Uh, right now, we just don't really have the time to, unfortunately. Uh, but that's, that's important to know because it's, 
it wasn't just Cambodia either during that time. There's a lot of, you know, that was the seventies were a time where communism was all over the place over there in Asia. So, um, you know, you, you're speaking about the country you're obviously, you know, more familiar with, but you also had Vietnam, you had North Korea, South Korea to an extent, you know, even though they fought back, but like that was still there. China, you know, Russia was up there. Uh, like that was a very prevalent thing. And Cambodia wasn't the only one that had that kind of evil, um, you know, uh, genocidal regime going on. Um, so, I mean, I, I am glad that you spoke on that though, but I, I'm glad that you spun it in a positive light too, where like these people are now more open to, you know, mental health and they're now, um, looking to redefine themselves too, you know, and it's not, like I said, it's not forgetting about their past, but it's how integrating that stuff that happened before the regime, um, integrating that into their current culture and their current life. So. Totally. Really cool. And that that was a cool part of visiting over there was just learning about that history and seeing how, um, you know, that's a cool part about visiting anywhere. You get to see how they commemorate history that happened in their past and how they move forward from that. And so, um, yeah, that was, was really special. Yeah. Well, I do appreciate, you know, you talking about your time in Cambodia. Um, but I also know it's not the only place that you travel to. Um, and I know that you've, you know, you, you've traveled around the States a little bit, but you've also traveled outside the country, you know, a little bit too. Um, you want to speak a little bit about, you know, your time traveling elsewhere at all? Favorite places you've been, favorite food you've seen, you know, you've tasted, um, anything along those lines? Yes. Um, this was unexpected question. (laughs) I highly recommend traveling. Um, I think. Most problems can be solved by a conversation and pick passports if you can. And um, I would say one of my favorite places that I've ever been to was Krakow. Um, in that Poland. seems to be familiar. Uh, they should all know that from the <laughs> Poland interviews. <laughs> so I probably heard a lot about Poland, but that city was just beautiful, full of history, and um, I'm a super nerd for World War II history, so I got to um, Auschwitz and some other places that were, um, they're just very commemorative spots for that. Very humbling spots is usually Um, the way people say it, but yeah. Yes. Um, And also, like to talk about favorite food, pierogies are... Um, All right. (laughs) You're the third person, I think, to mention that. Uh, (laughs) You're the second Um, to mention Krakow as their favorite place, and at least the second to also mention pierogies, but I think you might be the third. (laughs) Um, I've also, speaking of World War II, I did a whole class in college on um, one journalist who reported through England, Normandy, and Paris in World War II, and so I got to do a little trip that followed in his footsteps. Um, what was his name, by the way? What's that? What was his name? Ernie Pyle. And he grew up in Indiana and he went to Indiana university. So he was just like one of the coolest guys ever. And he actually passed away in Japan at the tail end of world war two. So he reported on both axes, um, both sides of that war. Um, so, I guess it axes, but I meant world theaters, but you understood what I was saying. <laughs> Both, yeah. Yeah. 
Um, so, what was I saying? Normandy was just a gorgeous place to visit. So, if you can even just go anywhere in that area, that was amazing. Okay. All right. Um, well, Sarah, I, you know, I definitely appreciate you taking time out of your evening to talk to us and everything. Um, I, like I've mentioned before, my big thing about this is I want to get the kids to learn about other countries, get the students to learn about other countries so that they have, um, an interest in visiting the countries that they ever have a chance to. And I think the best way to do it is not just by standing up there and lecturing the students. I feel like it's best to hear it from somebody who's been to those countries. So, um, even yeah. just in the United States, just like driving around to different national parks, that's a good bucket list to hit up to. Yeah. And, and I, I appreciate you mentioning that too, because, uh, you know, I know some of the students when we were in class mentioned, like they would love to travel, but obviously it costs money and it, they're right. Plane tickets aren't cheap, but um, there's so much you could see here in the United States. And yeah, like, you know, like I mentioned, maybe the architecture isn't as old fashioned or anything like that, but that doesn't mean that there's not um, very interesting historical spots in the United States, very interesting, you know, uh, national parks, like you mentioned and everything. So um, it is very important to take what we have here in the States and appreciate that as well. So, mm -hmm. well, I, I, you know, again, I thank you for your time. Um, and I will be showing this to my students. So is there any last message you want to say to them before I stop the recording? No, stay safe in your travels. All right. I'm going to stop it now. Uh, give me one another quick.